for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey Schmittelkofer. Um, I have had the privilege and the opportunity to lead the young adult ministry here at Change Point Northeast Anchorage, which is really just a missional community that serves to see life in Christ for young adults in our city who have a heart to see life in Christ for the men at the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center. Um, so um, I just, I, I really want to start uh, by expressing my my gratitude um, to the the honor and the privilege that it is right here today um, to share God's word with you. Um, it's a It's a privilege that I never take lightly um, that there's so much reverence for, and it's it's surely just an amazing process to seek the Lord in this way and, and be able to communicate His Word to His people. Um, so, as Pastor Greg said, we've been in the series on prayer. Um, it's literally just titled "Prayer," um, and so it, it, it we've uh, we've devoted four weeks to studying the Lord's Prayer, and and it would seem that. Spending four weeks in the Lord's Prayer would, would be a bit exhaustive, but uh, I want to assure you that it's, it's really not. Uh, prayer is, is that important. Prayer is that important. And um, I wanted to quote this, this book. It's titled The Kneeling Christian. Um, and the, the unknown author makes this statement. He says, why are so many Christians so often defeated? Because they pray so little. Why are so many church workers so often discouraged and disheartened? It's because they pray so little. Why do most men see so few brought out of darkness and into the marvelous light? It's because we pray so little. Why are not our churches simply on fire for God? It's because there's so little prayer. So let me assure you that prayer is that important. And Andrew Murray, um, one of the great theologians of the 1800s, he wrote this about prayer. He said, Jesus did not teach his disciples how to preach, but how to pray. He goes on to say, what think you, my beloved fellow disciples, would it not be just what we need to ask the master for a month to give us a course of special lessons on the art of prayer. And that's exactly what we have been doing here at Change Point. We've, we've committed, um, devoted ourselves to spending a month on prayer. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg, uh, he introduced this series and he was really just opening up the heart of prayer, you know, what prayer is and what prayer isn't. And, and he stated uh, from the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, uh, Pastor Greg said, Prayer is not a device to posture ourselves in front of other people. And he was drawing that from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, where it's this idea that prayer is not about practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be be praised by others. And Jesus says, they have received their reward. For there really is no reward for the prayer that is for those who desire to be seen 
Prayer is not about posturing ourselves in front of people to be seen. Prayer is about, it's about grasping for the invisible. It's about grasping for the invisible. Therefore, it's, it's not about being seen or visible. Prayer is not a device to posture ourselves in front of other people. And as the text progresses, uh, Jesus says, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. You see, as Pastor Greg had mentioned, he said prayer is not a tool to manipulate God, that our lofty words, our lengthy prayers, our deeply theological and eloquent prayers, these do not impress God. Prayer is not about posturing ourselves in front of other people or heaping up lofty and theological words to manipulate God. No, this is what prayer is about. Prayer is about intentionally conveying a message to God so that there will be common thoughts between his mind and ours. That's what prayer is about. What we need is for, for God to fill our hearts with his thoughts, and his desires will then become our desires flowing back to him. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with the will of God. Prayer is about deep and intimate retreats to desolate places to find that sweet spot where we can just sit in the presence of the Father and where we can pour our heart to him and he can pour his heart into us and that we can then in return bear his image back to him and to the world in need. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is about just deep and intimate times with the Father. And so, Pastor Greg said last week that prayer is about aligning ourselves with the heart of God. That is really just the central focus of it all. It's about aligning ourselves with the heart of God. It's about a complete dependence upon the Father. But there's more to prayer than just that. And I think that Jesus lines that out in the rest of this prayer. You see, the, the first three petitions are, of the Lord's Prayer are about the, the preeminence of God, right? The, the exaltation of God, the alignment with God and who he is. That's what the first three petitions are, while the, the second three petitions focus on our personal needs. And so today we're specifically going to focus in on two of those second three petitions. Um, and we draw them from Matthew 6, verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there. Um, it's just two verses. We're probably going to spend most of the time right there today. Um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Jesus says this. And, and I'm going to start kind of at the top where the disciples, you know, Jesus says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. Father, you are our Father. And that is a brilliant mystery. 
that you and your power, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that you are, have called us your children. That is a phenomenal truth. And so I pray today, I pray today that you will enlighten our hearts to the deep truths of this text. Um, That in the words of your disciples, that today you would teach us how to pray. Today that you would teach us how to pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So give us this day our daily bread. This is the fourth petition as it flows out of Jesus' prayer. He's offered up three petitions already. And they have to do with the character of the Father, the centrality of the Father, the hallowing of the name of the Father, the will of the Father, the kingdom of the Father. And now Jesus moves into this new section of prayer. And in this section, Jesus begins to shift the focus to what it is that we need. And so let me just say this before because I think that it's necessary. Um, Even when we are praying for ourselves and our needs, um, we need not neglect the first three petitions. Even when we're praying for ourselves, we need not neglect the first three petitions. And more specifically, the first petition. Pastor Greg, he quoted this quote last week, and I I have to quote it again because I think it's that powerful. Um, John Piper says this. He says, My heart's desire is to be used by God for the hallowing of his name and the coming of his kingdom and the doing of his will. It is to that end, the hallowing of the name of God, that I pray for health. Give me this day my daily bread, that I pray for hope, the forgiveness of my debts, and the holiness, the deliverance from evil. And Piper goes on to say, in other words, the great designs of God are first and mainly about God. His name being hallowed, his will being done, his kingdom coming, while the rest of the prayer is how I can be fitted into his great design. In other words, the structure of the prayer is not merely that the last three petitions serve the first, but that the last five serve the first. So on October 9th, Piper writes this in his journal, My one great passion. And this is beautiful. He says, Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than that the purpose of the universe is for the hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread sustaining life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escaped for that. For the hallowing of God's name. Okay, so the reason that I start with this is because even when we are seeking God for our own resources, for our daily bread, it's about the hallowing of God's name. It's about the hallowing of God's name. So, I guess the big question is, is what is, what is daily bread? What is daily bread? I think it's so important for us to know what, what daily bread is. And in all of my studies throughout the week, this was kind of the, the collection of ideas that have been presented to me and feel like God just communicated that our daily bread is the daily necessities that are needed to live life today for the glory of God. It's important to understand the word necessities here, that that daily bread is the daily necessities that are needed today to live life for the glory of God. So in this section of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. 
this is where, um, and Mike Breen put it like this, and it was beautiful. He said, this is where we pull the chair up to the Father's table. This is where we can pull the chair up to the Father's table. And we can acknowledge that the Father has everything needed to feed us. This is where we go to the Father for our daily needs. And so it's, it's okay to pray for spiritual provision. It's okay to pray for relational provisions. It's okay to pray for physical provisions. It's okay to pray for intellectual, wisdom-filled provisions. And finally, it is okay to pray for financial provision. It's okay to pray for these things. The problem comes when our prayers begin to shift from the glory of God and the building of his kingdom to the seeking of our own glory and the building of our own kingdom. Right? And so I guess that the the heart check for me the real heart check for me is to seek God in all things, right? It's, it's if, I'm, if I'm buying a house, God is guiding my purpose. He's guiding my purchase, sorry. If I'm seeking spiritual things, God has given me his spirit. If I'm experiencing relational problems, God is providing restoration. If I am in need of financial relief, God is the giver of all good gifts, The point is, is that we go to God for what we need today. And so I think that it's important for us to realize, to approach this, to look into two different extremes that happen within the Christian culture. Two different extremes. The first one is what's called poverty theology. It is this idea that I can't ask for anything. I can't desire anything. I can't own anything that if I live a life of frugality and poverty, then that somehow makes me more Christian. And this is so far from the truth. So far from the truth. Listen, Scripture tells us over and over and over again to to ask God, to bother God to unceasingly approach God with all of our requests and petitions to make them known to God. It's okay to ask God for our daily necessities. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, seek God in all things. Seek him in all things for all of life's provisions for our daily bread today. And then we have the other extreme. Um, the other extreme is, is also what I want us to avoid in prayer, and it's this, this prosperity gospel. Um, it's this idea that, that God will give me everything I ask for if I would just obey him. Believe in Jesus, it'll all be well. Believe in Jesus, you'll never suffer, you'll never be poor, you'll never experience difficulties. You want a nice car, ask Jesus. You want a big house, ask Jesus. You want these things, ask Jesus. This is also too far on the other end of the extreme. I mean, we can just take a look at those who follow Jesus. Those who were closest to Jesus, they shared the greatest intimate relationship with Jesus. They had a great relationship with the Father. 
And it didn't end well for them from a worldly perspective. It really didn't end that well for them. I mean, many were crucified, hung upside down on a cross, burned at the stake, sawed in half, beheaded. It didn't end well for them. By no stretch of the imagination is that prosperity from a worldly perspective. But the point is, is that they knew that the presence of God was far greater than anything that could happen to them. Their relationship with Jesus, their ability to sit in his presence was far greater than anything that could happen to them. So my point is this, that there, there seems to be, again, this sweet spot where we can land in the middle of these two extremes. And I believe that that sweet spot is revealed for us just a few passages after the Lord's Prayer. It's still in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just continues this thought. And Jesus tells his disciples this, starting in Matthew 6, verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes on to say this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And this is the key right here. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so I want us to see what just happened there at the end of this passage. Jesus is saying that God is providing the daily bread, but that's the result of what? Going back to the first petition, seeking first the kingdom of God. That if we live a life that is seeking first the kingdom of God, his kingdom, his will, his glory, daily bread will be provided. Daily. Necessities will be provided. And so this passage is not saying, uh, this passage right here, Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, it's not saying don't ask God for food or water and clothing. No, it's saying don't be anxious about them. It's saying don't be anxious about them because he will provide that. And so what Jesus is really saying here, what, he, what, what I really believe is the, the point of all of this, Nate, you could throw the first slide up there, is that when life is lived for the glory of God and the hallowing of his name, the daily bread will be provided. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we have been freed from the worries of tomorrow. We've been freed from the worries of tomorrow. We've been freed from the slavery that comes from trying to provide for ourselves without recognizing that the Father is providing all that we need. There is freedom that comes from a complete surrender and dependence upon the provision of the Father. And so, any time that we are frustrated... Anytime that we are discouraged, anytime that we are anxious, it is almost always the result of tomorrow's worries. It's almost always the result of tomorrow's worries. I mean, this is true right here. I'm going to need a little bit of engagement right now. Um, 
How many people sitting in here right now have real fears and doubts and worries about the rest of today? Okay, we have a few hands. Now, how many people have fears and doubts and worries about, like, next week or next month or just life? I mean, I think that a lot more hands go up when this question is asked. Because today, just in today, we have what we need. We have what we need. Frustration and anxiety almost always comes from tomorrow's worries. But if I can sit in the presence of God today, I have all that I need. I have all that I need. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying all we need is this day, right? I mean, I, when I, a lot of you know I got sober about five years ago, and AA had this right, right? They say one day at a time. I can be sober just for today. I mean, there's truth in that. Just one day today. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, he's provided everything that we need. There's, there's freedom from tomorrow's worries when we are present in today, depending on God for today. And so Jesus is saying here, Father, you are the great provider You parted the seas for Israel to pass over. Listen, bread literally fell from heaven. Water literally flowed from the rock when they were thirsty in the desert. And I think so often we can look at these things like they're just a bunch of stories. It really happened. The seas really parted. Bread fell from heaven. What? (laughs) That happened. We can depend on God as our provider for our daily bread. And the interesting point about this, when the manna fell from heaven, God tells Israel, just take today's portion. Just today's portion. And this is what it says. It says, those who gathered little had no lack, and those who gathered much had nothing left over today's portion. That's all we need, today's portion, which leads me to my next point, that the Father has provided Jesus. He is the daily bread. I mean, he is literally the daily bread, and and I think that, I mean, obviously Jesus knew what he was doing here. He prays for the daily bread, and he leads. The next thing he does is he goes into our sin. Because Jesus was the penalty that was, that, that Jesus was the, the provision to pay the penalty that needed to be paid for the debt. That's why he says, forgive us our debt. It is in the provision of the Son that we have the forgiveness of our sins. That we are freed from the shame and the guilt of the past sins the present sins, and the future sins. So Jesus goes on to say this. Go back to the top. Pray then like this. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. 
And so in the, the first covenant or the law or the Old Testament, when sin was committed, there was a payment that was required for those sins. So when sin was committed, essentially the one who committed the sin was in debt to that sin or the one who that sin was committed against, namely God. He was indebted to him. And that is why the wage of sin is death. Because there was a debt that needed to be paid. So God's righteous requirement requires perfection. But we can't be perfect. And so when imperfection or sin happens, there's a payment that must be made for that sin, a debt that is owed, a payment or a debt that we could never pay, ever. But I want us to kind of hear what Colossians, I don't want us to kind of hear, I want us to hear what Colossians 2.14 says. It says, he set aside the record of debt that stood between us, us and the Father. He set aside the record of debt that stood between us by canceling it out and nailing it to the cross. That the debt was paid. And so this right here, if, if give us this day as our daily bread is the time where we pull our seat up to the table of God and feast on his provisions, this section of the prayer is where we sit at the foot of the cross. This is where we just sit at the foot of the cross and we marvel. And we marvel in the price that was paid, the debt that was paid. All the shame, all the sadness, all the guilt. All that comes as the result of sin, the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. So this is the part of our prayers where we sit in that. Knowing fully that we could not pay it, but that he paid it on our behalf. and He died the death that we deserved, taking on the debt that we owed, and restored us to right relationship with the Father. He made him to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. But I think that what Jesus is saying here goes even a little bit deeper than that. goes a little bit further than that. He's not just talking about our past sins here. Our past sins have been paid for. Yes, our present sins have been paid for. Our future sins have been paid for. To say forgive us of our debts does not mean that as believers we need to ask for daily justification. For from the moment of our conversion, we are justified forever. We're justified. It's been paid. But that does not say that sin does not muddy the waters of our relationship with the Father. I'm justified, but we all know this, that when we are stuck in sin, when we're sinning, when we're struggling with sin, it's just naturally division that takes place. It's hard to get there. And so this is, this is the reason that, you know, Jesus follows up the daily bread with this price of forgiveness. He says the, the daily seeking of forgiveness 
is, is a prayer for the restoration of my personal fellowship with God when my fellowship has been hindered by sin. And so I think that 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says it perfectly. He's, we all sin, right? Every single one of you, ha- we all sin. And it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see what happens here? We all sin. But what John is talking about here is he's talking about a repeated and daily confession of our shortcomings before God. And and I believe that that's what Jesus is saying here, he's saying the same thing. It would, it, would, it would be crazy to think that sin that presently occurs in our life does not in some way uh, hinder our relationship with the Father. The reality is, is that we do sin, and we do feel shame for those sins, and that the result is to do exactly what Jesus is lining out for us right here, to sit at the foot of the cross daily and say, you paid it. Paid it, all my shame, all my sin, all my guilt, all my all of it. You paid it. Take it. And so the point is, is that during this section of prayer, we accept the freedom that we have received through the forgiveness of our sins. We recognize that we do sin, that we do struggle, that we do need forgiveness, and that God is the one who can grant that forgiveness. It is in this section of prayer that we are freed from the shame of sin. This is the point. Sin just naturally causes division. It's what it does. So Jesus says, you know, he goes on to say this. Pray then like this. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It is really out of our identity as forgiven children that we then possess even the ability to forgive someone else. It's out of my identity as forgiven. You know, the experience, um, the experience of freedom, the amount of freedom that we can experience through forgiving others is unexpressible. There are very few things that I can think of in life that hinder us from intimate fellowship with God and intimate fellowship with each other than unforgiveness in our hearts. Listen, unforgiveness is just consuming. I mean, it is consuming. When I mean, just think about this. When there's division between you and somebody else, when there's division between me and somebody else, when, when I've been wronged and when I hold that against somebody, um, there is not much else that I can think about in those times but that. And so what it really happens is in the consumption of unforgiveness, we're pulled away from the Father. We're pulled away from the hallowing of his name, the sitting in his presence, the alignment with his will, 
Because it is in his character and in his nature to forgive. And he's called us to the same thing. Therefore, this is the part of the prayer where we search the depths of our hearts. And we ask the Father to reveal any seeds of discord that we may have towards someone else or someone else might have towards me. And and we ask the Father to do what only he can do. That's to make things right, to make things new, to restore relationships. So this is the part of the prayer that we recognize that the the most important relationship that we foster is the relationship with the Father. And if my relationship with the Father is hindered by unforgiveness in my heart, I take that to him. And I think scripturally, I go to the person. I sit with the person. I forgive them. I ask them to forgive me, whatever the circumstance might be. And so we recognize that this is, this is the heart of this whole section of the prayer, that, that when I recognize the great debt that has been forgiven me, I can then forgive someone else of their debt. And so Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, it says this. I, this is great. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This whole passage, this this passage in Ephesians is, is speaking of relational tension. Right? We talk about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's taken way out of context. In this passage, grieving the Holy Spirit has to do with relational tension within the body of Christ. That, is, that grieves the Spirit. It grieves the Spirit. And so he says, forgive others as God and Christ forgave you, because there is freedom and forgiveness. There's freedom to experience life to the full, freedom to fully experience the unhindered love of God when we forgive others. And so this this theme is really threaded all over throughout Scripture, and it's the reason that Christ in, in uh, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he just goes through the whole Lord's Prayer. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it's still part of the Lord's Prayer. He returns to this issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness because it's that important. It's that important. So he says this. This is serious. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does that mean? I mean, there's a serious challenge there. Serious challenge. But I feel like it's so important to just touch on this quickly um, because I feel like it's been butchered throughout our Christian culture. I feel like it's been taken way out of context. It would appear as if Jesus is saying, If you do not forgive others, then you will not be forgiven. Which, in a way, he does say that, but 
But this is really not directed towards those who are not already saved. I mean, it is impossible, nearly impossible, for somebody who has not experienced the love and the grace and forgiveness of God to extend that to somebody else. And so I think that a very real example would be this. Um, Before I got saved, I was standing next to my brother, and my brother got shot by a man. And I witnessed my brother get shot by this man. And I hated him. I mean, I literally hated him. I wanted to kill him. I was absolutely, positively not capable of forgiving that man. I didn't understand forgiveness. But then I got saved. And all the debt that I had accumulated was forgiven of me. And I got saved. And this is, this is incredible. I haven't told Pastor Greg this, but a good friend of mine committed suicide. And I was sitting at his funeral. And Pastor Greg was given the, the eulogy. And I'm sitting in this funeral. <laughs> and I'm, I'm now saved. <laughs> and that man that shot my brother walks into the funeral. And I remember so clearly hearing, forgive him. Forgive him much because you have been forgiven much. And I cannot even begin to express the weight that was lifted. I cannot begin to express the relationship that was restored with the Father through forgiving of others. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. Saying, when we live in unforgiveness, it's consuming. And it hinders our relationship with the Father. It hinders us from experiencing fullness of life. And so this is, in this section, I feel it most necessary to encourage. This isn't in my notes. This is just real. If, if you're struggling here today with unforgiveness, I want you to take a moment to think of the debt that has been forgiven you. Think of the debt that has been forgiven you and extend that same grace to someone else. Now, Lance, you can bring your team up. So I think that um, the big question is, and I think it it always is, hopefully at the end of a message, um, where do we go from here? And what is what does this mean for my prayer life right now? Um, that's the most important question that we can ask as we walk out of here today. What does this mean for my prayer life right now? And 
I think that so often we can, you know, we think that this prayer was maybe meant to be recited. You know, like I'm just supposed to say it back to God word for word as he said it. But it's really a template for prayer. And this template for prayer is amazing. Uh, It's really life-changing if we go through this template for prayer where we have this concept of, let's just pray. Let's just pray. And, And I think that this is probably the most practical and applicable way that I can leave you guys is if we just end in prayer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray through this template. I'm gonna pray through the Lord's prayer, and hopefully it'll stir in our hearts to be a praying church, to be praying for one another, to be praying for our church, to be praying for our city, to be praying for ourselves, to be hallowing the name of God. So let's just close our eyes and we're gonna just go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, 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 you are our Father. We are your children. You have called us out of darkness and you have placed us into light. We now get to stand in your presence and experience the intimacy with you as our Father. Praise your name. Praise your name. Hallowed be your name. Holy, holy, holy is the name of you, our God. You are holy. You are set apart. You are dependent upon nothing. Nothing. You are our God. You are mighty to save. You are powerful. You are all-consuming. You are sovereign in nature. You know all things. You, Father, created the heavens and the earth, but yet you hear our pleas for mercy. We pray, Father. We pray, Father, that your will would be present in our lives, that you would reveal your will to us, Father. And we know from your word, for your word lays out what your will is. We know that you have called us first and foremost to love and worship you and to love and worship people. That is your will. Your word says that all, all the law is fulfilled in that one commandment. Love you and love others. That is your will. Your word also says that we are to proclaim your gospel. That we are to go and make disciples. That we are to bear your image. Your word says, it says that we are to admonish the idle, to encourage the weak, to help the faint-hearted, to never repay evil for evil, but to do good always, for that is your will in Christ Jesus. Father, give us a mind, give us a heart, give us a a peace inside of us where where all we want to do is advance your kingdom, to serve you as our king to come in line with you as our king. 
For it says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that in heaven there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no tears, there is no suffering. And so, Father, let us welcome in your kingdom here where we can get a glimpse of that now. Here on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray... I pray for our daily bread. We know, Father, right now that you have provided everything we need today. You provided everything we need today, but, but in that, Father, in my daily bread, what I want to ask of you today for me and for my family and for my church family, that when we leave here, that we would experience your presence, that we would feel you, that we would, that we would be able to enjoy and partake in the feast that you have laid out before us that we would be able to enjoy you and worship you and glorify you, for that is the chief end of man. And Father, there are times where my heart certainly is not in line with your heart, where I'm selfish and I'm self-seeking and I desire my own things, where my mind is, my eyes are fixed down here instead of on the heavenly things. So Father, I pray that you would that you would forgive me of those things. That you would forgive me of those debts. I know also that there is freedom that you have offered me in your Son, Jesus Christ. You have offered me freedom in Christ. I am free. It is for freedom that I am set free. We are free. Here, Father. And so right now, as a family, as a congregation, Father, we sit here. We sit here in your presence. You are here. You are here. And we know that you have offered forgiveness in your son, Jesus. You've offered forgiveness in your son, Jesus. Right now, Father, I pray right now, right now in the name of Jesus, if there is somebody sitting in this room who has not accepted that sacrifice, that they would do that now. That they would do that now. For you offer freedom and forgiveness. And Father, if there's any bitterness in my heart, if there's any bitterness in the hearts of our people here, I pray right now, Father, that they would cry out to you and that they would give it to you, that they would forgive them of those debts, that they would not hold that over them, but that they would experience the freedom that comes from forgiving others. Father, I pray that you would lead us not in temptation. You don't tempt us with sin. So, Father, keep us from ourselves. For we cause or we lead ourselves into those temptations. But Father, lead us, guide us, carry us, empower us. And Father, deliver us from the evil one. For he is prowling around like a roaring lion, trying to steal and kill and destroy trying to place seeds of doubt in the minds of anybody who might have accepted your forgiveness here today. Father, deliver us, protect us, guide us, lead us, be with us as we walk out into this world this week. I pray these things for your honor. I pray these things for your glory. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name.
We thank you, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that through Jesus we can sit here right now in your presence. We thank you for that. I pray these things in his name. Amen.